Cop 28 is taking place in Dubai, and methane emissions seem to be getting more attention than usual at this year's global climate gathering. Why? And should U.S. cattlemen be worried about it? We'll talk with the global leader on the topic for the those answers, and we're going to bring some more clarity to the outlook for interest rates. Live from the epicenter of everything ag and otherwise, via Farm Journal broadcast, this is AgriTalk. This morning, we'll begin with a conversation with Dr. Frank Mitlerner from UC Davis. Then it's Dr. Vince Malanga from LaSalle Economics. I'm handsome newsman Davis Michelson. Now, welcome the host of AgriTalk, Chip Lorre. Psych. All I right, guess. Davis. Huh? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, yes. Hey, oh yes. my goodness. Oh my goodness. Did you just say? And uh, now you're. Are you okay? Uh, you're your host, yeah. Chip Flory. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. I'm glad. I got kicked off for a second. I'm back. No kidding. Wow. Yes. That's exciting. Yeah. Let me well, let me see if I get I kicked am. off. I. You know, we'll find out. No, I was just sitting quietly. I know it. I know it. Welcome to AgriTalk. Glad that you are here. Glad mm-hmm. that I am here for this morning's conversations. We got a blizzard uh, going there or yeah. something? Huh? Did no, a goose nothing, fly into your receiver? Nothing. Huh? Nothing? <laughs> not, not that I am aware of. Okay. All right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Glad that I'm here. I, I, I do know that. Um, we've it, Dr. Frank uh, Mittlerner is teaching a class as we speak. So we've already had the conversation with Dr. Frank. This this is an important conversation. And the the reason that I say it, that I believe that it is an important conversation, is for a couple of things. At some point, you are going to hear Dr. Mittlerner say, listen, you can try to sweep this under the rug. You can try to wait and think that this is an issue that is going to go away you can do all of that but there are some realities in place that are going to prevent that from happening and Hmm. as a result you better get geared up you better understand exactly what the challenges are as the as the cattle industry uh, anything to do with a bovine, I'm, so we're talking beef and dairy, as the cattle industry moves forward in figuring out how emissions, methane emissions, are, number one, going to be captured, and number two, going to be reduced. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's an interesting conversation that we had with uh, Dr. Mittlerner here, but, you know, only about an, uh, half an hour ago, but... Yeah. Well, um, yeah. And the 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 thing is, what they're what they're talking about. If you're if you're just catching up here, a uh, beloved listener, it goes. I'll I'll quote the congresswoman. We're we're gonna die from all the cow farts. And so Dr. Yeah. Mitlerner's trying to. You know what? Not only is he looking for a solution to that, but but also you know trying to fight the misinformation. Yeah. Which is important as well. I mean, let's yes. get a solid effort here with real information. And and one of the reasons that. I continue to turn to Dr. Mittlerner for information on this is he understands you've got to have economic incentive to stay in the business and to mm-hmm. pursue some of these emission reduction strategies. To pursue some of these emissions reductions strategies, because I mean, ultimately everybody, somebody's got to pay for it. And if I'm writing a check, it needs to be something that I agree with. Looks like we've lost chip, but that's okay. I got to get to the news anyway. We're way behind schedule. Uh, I've got a daily sale here. Private exporters reported sales of 198,000 metric tons of soft red winter wheat for delivery to China during the 23-24 marketing year. I'll have a little bit more on the wheats here and their response to that move. But let's move on to the National Weather Service outlook where excessive rainfall and flooding potential continues across the PNW for the next few days. Uh, more of these moderate upslope snows. I don't know what this is. Upslope snow <laughs> forecasts across the central Appalachians into Wednesday. Look out, Appalachians. It's going to get weird. And then a warming trend increases across the Great Plains through midweek. Good to have you back, buddy. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm here. It, it's just higher elevation snows. It's got to be. It's got to be, yeah. Although I do like the idea of it, like, snowing up the hill. I don't know. There's something about that picture. Wheat futures <laughs> reached an 11-week high, primarily attributed to stronger-than-expected exports, with USDA on Monday confirming the sale of 440,000 metric tons of U.S. SRW wheat to China. The sale is particularly noteworthy as it marks the largest such purchase chip since 2020, and it reflects China's effort to reduce imports from the Black Sea region. I hadn't heard that China was going to make efforts to reduce imports from the Black Sea. Right, right. I, I the the only reason that they would is no, it, they're not making efforts to reduce imports from the Black Sea. The only reason they're importing less is because they can't get as much as what they have imported in the past. There you go. That's got to be the only reason. It's got to be. Yep. Yep. Well, Chip, excluding energy, producer prices experienced a slight year-on-year decrease of 0.2% in October. This is noteworthy as it marks the first month of decline since October 2020. Okay, but if we put energy back in, I'm guessing those two-hundredths of a percentage point would uh, evaporate quickly. I think that's probably right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we will have a conversation with Vince Malanga coming up uh, at the bottom of the hour. Well, Brazil exported 5.2 million metric tons of soybeans in November, slightly topping the previous record for that month. For the first 11 months of 2023, Brazil exported nearly 98 million metric tons of soybeans, up almost 18% from the prior record two years ago. In other news, the CFTC is proposing federal guidelines for voluntary carbon credit derivatives seeking to bring order to a volatile market. The guidelines will call on exchanges to verify the quality of these derivatives, which are linked to financial instruments used by companies to offset emissions. I used a whole bunch of words there that I don't even know what they mean, chip derivatives. In the, in the, oh, I don't even know. I don't know. It's news. <laughs> Somebody knows what that means, right? Please tell me. <laughs> Holy smokes. I yeah, no, I'm not I'm not the guy. I am not the guy. <laughs> we'll find the guy and get him on. The right. World Organization for Animal Health warned more testing of African swine fever vaccines is needed, triggered by Vietnam's plans to export doses in coming months. Nothing like rushing a vaccine to production chip. <laughs> In other news, France raised the risk level of highly pathogenic avian influenza too high from moderate on Tuesday after the detection of new cases of the disease. A chip, the high risk level implies all poultry should be kept inside on farms and additional security measures taken to avoid a spread of the disease. That's a mess for French poultry growers. Oh, absolutely. It's a a mess for us here in the United States, too, but Mm. we're getting it done. Well, finally here, Argentine President-elect Javier Millet plans to introduce an omnibus bill during his investiture speech on December 10, which will be sent to Congress uh, the following day. The bill, expected to include various reforms, such as the removal of regulations to ease private company operations, tax reforms, labor reforms, privatization of state-owned companies, reduction of ministries and state institutions. You see how it goes here. The purpose to expedite the debate on multiple reforms while Malay's popularity is high, and these are some dramatic reforms, Chip. Yes, they certainly are. I mean, it it is it is something that we need to keep an eye on because it's going to get over to agriculture. I don't think there's any question about it. And this just in, upslope precipitation is just <laughs> another term for uh-huh. what is called orographic lifting. There, that clears it up, right? Orographic lifting. Orographic lifting. Frank Mentlerner next. Lower crop prices and extreme weather can take a toll on your profits and peace of mind. Crop insurance is a powerful tool to not only protect your financial security, but give you confidence to market grain, invest in your operation, and provide for what matters most, your family. At Farmers Mutual Hail, we understand that, so we've created products that allow you to customize plans for up to 95% coverage. It's time to rethink your crop insurance and choose FMH, America's crop insurance company, to protect your livelihood. Visit connect.fmh.com today. On average, a dairy cow pays for herself after two and a half lactations, but only spends three lactations in the milking herd. That's a tight margin. Intelligent nutrition company Novus International can help you maximize dairy production with solutions that ultimately improve cow longevity and enhance farm profitability. Visit novusint.com and click on Dairy to learn how Novus's nutrition solutions and services are designed to deliver more. 
That's NovusInt.com. Unlock the full potential of your yield with Farm Journal's Connected Ag Project. Farm Journal has teamed up with a coalition of partners to support producers in harnessing data to fuel both agronomic and financial resilience. Built around the use and adoption of well-proven practices, participating farmers will also benefit from technical guidance, personalized data support, and direct payments. Visit trustandfood.com grow today to learn more about this USDA-funded project. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. I'm Tyne Morgan, host of U.S. Farm Report. Join me each weekend as we explore the news and issues that matter the most to agriculture. We know this past year has been challenging in many ways, but as agriculture continues to adapt, we are right there with you. From markets to weather, each weekend we take a deep dive into what matters most. Join me each weekend for U.S. Farm Report, timely, trusted tradition. Sometimes I just cannot believe all the storms we've gone through here. I can only hope that we'll be able to leave this house to you one day, baby. You're our legacy. Planning for these disasters will make sure we're safe. And it's the best way to protect that legacy. Protect your legacy. Visit ready.gov forward slash plan for the tools and tips you need to start your emergency preparedness plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. Chickens have come home to roost. Find out whose fence they're perched on today on AgriTalk. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm your host, Jim Flory. Uh, Dr. Frank Mittlerner is a professor and air quality specialist in the animal science department at the University of California in Davis. He is the director of the CLEAR Center. CLEAR is the clarity and leadership for environmental awareness and research at uc davis and dr frank joins us right now welcome back to agritalk it's great to talk with you again frank good morning Chip. i'm glad to be back great 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 okay methane and the messaging on methane from cop 28 in dubai seems i don't know if it's taking full center stage but it, methane seems to be getting more attention than what it has at past meetings. Why? Is it just methane's turn? So the main focus is still on fossil fuels and the resulting carbon dioxide that develops when you burn fossil fuels. But a close second is methane. Um, there is the so-called methane pledge that says that uh, the world needs to reduce 30% of that gas, 3-0 that is. And that puts it um, center stage. And one of the main sources for methane, for that particular gas, is agriculture, and here in particular, and here in particular, uh, animal agriculture or ruminants. And that's what puts us center stage as well. Okay, um, it's it's led to some things that have raised eyebrows, some comments uh, from around the world. The UN calling for less meat consumption, and specifically as I understand it, in the U.S.? Would that accomplish the methane reduction goals that they have in place? You know, that's the 800-pound gorilla question. <clears throat> so if you believe in the Intergovernmental Panel for Climate Change analysis that says that 80%, 8-0, so the lion's share, 80% mm -hmm. of all livestock-related greenhouse gases globally stem from developing countries, so from countries like India or African countries, right. then in my opinion, that should be where the focus shall be. But the FAO says, no, we can't tell these poor people what to eat, and therefore we have to do it with the developed world. Right. Um, I don't think that this will get us to where we need to go. And the reason is 
that the people who can afford meat will continue to afford meat, and those who can't will, um, unfortunately, uh, and these are really the people who don't have much money in a country like the United States, will revert back to starchy stuff that leads to the uh, obesity epidemic that we have seen. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it, it, it doesn't sound to me like you are in support of the U.N. calls calls for less meat consumption. I am in favor of working with farmers to reduce methane. Yes. And that's a big difference, okay? Rather than telling people what to eat, which has never worked before, we should work with and not against farmers to address this issue of methane. And we can do that. Here in California, we are well on our way of achieving a 40% reduction of methane from our dairy sector. And we are doing that by working with farmers, by working a voluntary incentive-based approach. And that means if you reduce methane, you get paid for it. And believe it or not, this current approach does work. Okay. So how are you doing that? You said the methane emissions reduced by 40, 40%, is that right? That is correct. So the state law is such that uh, our farmers have to reduce 40%. Um, the focus is on manure. And so what happens here in the state is that more and more dairies are covering their dairy lagoons where the manure is stored, mm-hmm. and they're, cap- they're capturing the so-called biogas, 60% of which, 60 percent of which is methane. And they are taking that biogas, they're cleaning it up and making it into transportation fuels for buses and heavy-duty trucks. And that receives carbon credits that are very sizable. And because of that, over 200 dairies have done it already and have achieved one-third of the state's climate goals already. Wow. Interesting. Now, five members of the Dairy Methane Action Alliance. I think I've got that right. They're they're going to begin reporting methane emissions by mid-2024. They are going to write a methane action plan by the end of the year ahead. Agriculture would probably better be paying attention as this plan is being written, right, Dr. Mittlinger? Well, I can tell you this. This topic will not go away, regardless of what people think about it. It will not go away because the people who buy agricultural products, the Nestle's, the Starbucks, the McDonald's, and so on, they are asking uh, for reductions of these gases, and uh, they will buy their products uh, from supply chains that give them that data. So our farmers need to get ready for that. And what I'm telling policymakers is, we can achieve these strong reductions, which indeed have a strong impact on climate, by the way. We can achieve these reductions by working with our farmers. And let's not forget, farmers, the, the, in other words, the food sector and the health sector are the two most important pillars of society. We cannot afford to get rid of our food sector. To get rid of our farmers, we have to support them and work with them. Okay. You leave for Dubai, uh, I, as I understand, tomorrow, correct? Yeah, that's correct, yes. Okay. Uh, what have you got scheduled? What is and, and what is the most important message that you hope attendees of COP28 hear from you while you're there? I think maybe we've already touched on it. Yeah, we have touched in the past on one issue, which is we have to be able to quantify methane appropriately, okay? because that has not happened over the last 30 years. Secondly, we have to appreciate the importance of methane, but in order to reduce it meaningfully, uh, the consumption angle, in my opinion, is not the lever. The production lever is what counts, and that means we work with our farmers to reduce unwanted methane emissions, which is not just good for the environment, but it's also good for the pocketbook, because losing methane means losing energy. Methane is nothing other than natural gas. We don't want to just blow it in the air. We want to utilize it as fuel or as a source of power. So it's going to be about capturing methane rather than reducing the animal's production of methane. Is that what I'm hearing? No, it's both. It is capturing methane from the 
It's capturing methane from new storages, but it's also reducing it from digestive processes, let's say through the use of feed additives. There are now some feed additives that can reduce 10, 20, 30% of the methane that's belched out of the mouth. Or there are other approaches, for example, breeding. We know methane is a heritable trait. One animal, one, the mother passes it on to the next generation. And believe it or not, we can test whether or not a cow is a high or low methane-producing animal. And then we can select for the low methane-emitting animals and therefore have permanent reductions of 20%, 30% in our herd. Now, these are approaches that our farmers can work with and always have. Okay. So dairy or beef or both? Uh, it seems to me that that dairy is maybe the lower hanging fruit when it comes to efforts to reduce to reduce the methane emissions well i think yes it's relatively easier to reduce methane from dairies but i would say that beef is more in the crosshair of those people who want to um, use this angle on reducing greenhouse gases and that's actually troublesome because the main source of methane from the beef supply chain, believe it or not, is the cow-calf operation, not yeah. the feedlot. It's the cow-calf operation because animals there eat high roughage diets and that lends itself to methane emissions. And these animals are not being treated or seen every day. They're not being fed every day. These animals are roaming around freely. Um, and so it's much more difficult to do something to those animals that reduces methane then to those animals in a conventional dairy that you milk, where you milk them twice or three times a day and you have access to them. Right, right. This seems like a task. It While it may not be impossible, but, but boy, this is a task that uh, uh, it, it's going to be difficult to accomplish, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you remember we've talked many times over the years, and I've yeah. always... Um, I've always told people, do not lose this out of sight. But guess what people did? They did lose it out of sight, and now we are running short in time. Gotcha. Um, but it's never, too late. it's never too late. I know that we can achieve yeah. our goals of reducing environmental impacts and at the same time uh, be economically viable. But we have to take this seriously now. This is not going Absolutely. away. Absolutely. Dr. Frank Mintlerner, Travel Safe. Look forward to a report when you get back. Thank you so much, Chip. All the best to you. You bet. Thank you. That is Dr. Frank Mintlerner from the University of California, Davis. No doubt you've heard of MetLife, but did you know that MetLife Investment Management has over 100 years of ag lending experience? The MetLife Investment Management team maintains close relationships with its borrowers and can structure a customized loan with flexible terms to meet your financial needs. Looking to expand, refinance, or recapitalize? Consider MetLife Investment Management. Learn more at MetLife.com forward slash ag. There I was, driving along when I saw the corn laying down in the field, goosenecked again. Even though I tried everything, new traits, existing soil insecticides. Every corn grower knows the hassle of gooseneck corn, but now there's Nerisma insecticide from BASF, a better, stronger infro insecticide that controls corn rootworm and below ground pests. Stand up for your corn with Nerisma insecticide. Ask your authorized BASF retailer about Nerisma and always read and follow label directions. Time for Markets Now with the experts from ProFarmer. Pro Farmer Editor Brian Grady joins us right now. Another wheat sale, Beach. Absolutely, Chip. Uh, SRW wheat uh, going out the door to China again, and, and uh, so that's given that market uh, price support. Uh, HRW and spring wheat futures are following along, but uh, clearly the uh, SRW market's the leader with that uh, Chinese demand, and, and uh, um, second day in a row, and, and both are, are relatively sizable um, sales, so um, definitely China being in the market uh, right now for wheat and, and especially U.S. SRW is price supportive. Uh, the strength in the wheat market spilling over to corn and, and corn's uh, trying to work to the upside just a penny or two higher here at mid-morning, but uh, um, at least working to the upside there. 
the flip side is soybeans and, and uh, they're under some pressure and uh, the soy oil market is lower this morning. Uh, meals trading to the upside, but uh, beans are lower and some spreading activity, not only within the soy complex, uh, but also soybeans and, and corn spreading as well. Okay. Yep. All right. All right. Uh, obviously, we need to keep a close watch on what's going on in Brazil and with the weather up in, in the central or uh, the northern production areas. But take us over to livestock trade because we got a nice recovery going in feeder cattle. Yeah, so if you like volatility, you love the uh, the cattle market <laughs> at the moment. Uh, just, you know, it seems like uh, every single day is, is these huge price moves. Yeah. And, and today's big price move happens to be to the upside on some corrective buying after yesterday. Uh, live cattle futures, they backed off of their earlier highs, still trading slightly to the upside. Uh, but they, like I said, they have backed well off their highs at the moment. And then in the hog market, uh, we're facing moderate to heavy pressure here at mid-morning. Yeah, first time in about five sessions in that hog market. So it is something to take note of. Thank you, Brian. Brian's going to be on this afternoon. Come back to 06 Central. The Scoop Podcast is where we talk about tight supply chains, emerging agronomic challenges, technology tools delivering ROI. I'm Margie Echelkamp, editor of The Scoop and host of The Scoop Podcast. Join me as I interview leaders from across the ag retail sector. Farmers are working hard for every bushel and their trusted advisors are by their side. Find The Scoop Podcast wherever you find podcasts so you are up to date on everything ag retail. Scammers often try to dupe veterans to steal the VA benefits they've earned. Scammers may try to obtain sensitive information or collect payments over the phone offer to move assets in order to qualify for pension, insist benefits may be sent directly to a friend or caregiver, or promise to manage benefits or file a claim for you. VA will never charge you for processing a claim, and only VA can determine eligibility. To report suspicious activity, visit va.gov forward slash OIG forward slash hotline. Opinions expressed on AgriTalk do not necessarily reflect the views of Farm Journal Broadcasting, affiliate stations, or sponsors. We've cleared the schedule for you. Give us a call at 855-482-5524 and join the conversation. Welcome back to AgriTalk. I'm Chip. Glad that you're with us on this Tuesday morning. A very interesting conversation with Dr. Frank Mittlerner. Uh, as he gets ready to travel over to Dubai for COP28. Uh, yeah, it, it's like like he said, Davis, the, the reason that we're paying attention, the big reason that we're paying mm-hmm. attention is because mm-hmm. this isn't going away. Yeah. This is, is going to be an issue in the future, and we need to understand what it is, why it is, and... Mm-hmm what you can do to benefit from it that's well, that's the bottom line maybe i'm being silly here but at the same time it'd be great to have a delicious juicy source of protein <laughs> in our lives as well right just yes. saying amen that to that mm-hmm. amen mm-hmm. to that all right let's get on to the economy dr vince malanga president of LaSalle economics is our guest now vince it's good to talk with you again how are you Good. I'm having a juicy steak for lunch this afternoon. Attaboy. Attaboy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Yep. So, Vince, here's the deal. The, it, it's a thought process that's been going through my head. And when I read your letter this weekend, I, um, I, I have questions. And here, the marketplace has swung very quickly from, more rate hikes are coming to hold rates higher for longer to eh, maybe a rate cut sometime in 2024 to a rate cut coming in March of 2024. This feels like a big shift in attitude in a relatively short period of time. If Have I got that read right? Uh, yeah, it has been a big shift uh, in attitude. You know, it started in September in September, when interest rates were up at 5% on the 10-year, the view was, well, the Fed won't have to tighten anymore because the long end of the bond market is doing its work for them. Okay. But right after that, of course, the inflation numbers started to come in better than was generally expected. 
And there was some evidence out there that the economy was starting to slow. And I think both of those developments are building some momentum now. I think we'll probably see a uh, relatively weak employment report on Friday. And uh, we're going to see good inflation numbers right around the, to the time the Fed meets uh, on December 12 and 13. <laughs> you know, one of the one of the not so subtle indicators is continuing jobless claims. Okay. And what that basically reflects is not so much new firings, but the fact that people that are unemployed are staying unemployed longer. And that's been going up pretty significantly in here. So there are a lot of indications out here that the, that the labor market is softening up. Historically, when the unemployment rate goes up by more than a half a percent, uh, that signals a recession. <clears throat> We're right on the verge of that. And so I, that's, I think that's contributing to the psychology. Okay. Lots of stuff to get back to on that and and dig into a little bit deeper. Talk to me about the jobs market. Has there been enough deterioration? Well, first of all, watch the inflation numbers. I think you're going to see okay. a marked, a marked, a dramatic slowdown in inflation here in the next two or three months, uh, and that will give indications that the Fed is at its two percent target. And if the Fed is at its two percent target, number one, it's going to be very hard pressed to make a case for tightening. And number two, it will contribute to the notion that if they're not going to tighten, once they finish tightening, they ease. Okay. Okay, so talk to me about the jobs market then. A couple of things. Has there been enough deterioration in the jobs market to tell the Fed that it's time to start cutting rates? Well, I think there are indications uh, that there are. We're moving in that direction. We're not there yet. Uh, it'll probably take a couple of months. Uh, but these things can sneak up on you pretty quickly. Uh, and so I think you're going to see a lot of evidence in here over the next two or three months uh, to support the case, uh, certainly for no more tightening. Uh, and if there's no more tightening, as I say, uh, the generally the next move is easing. And let's not forget that 2024 is an election year. Uh, the Fed don't want, doesn't want to have a recession so if the indicators are really pointing toward softness, uh, that would urge them to even ease even more, you know, even faster. Okay. What about wages? Are wages, if they're not keeping up with inflation right now, will they be, say, by the end of the first quarter? Well, if I'm right on in inflation in here over the next three or four months, you're not going to need much wage growth in order to have real wage increases because inflation is going to come down so hard. And as I say, you could be you could see on a three month rolling basis inflation being under two percent uh, over the next two or three months. Uh, so wages will uh, wages will turn positive in real terms, even if they're not rising significantly in nominal terms. Okay, let's go to the housing market. Um, anything in the housing market that's telling the Fed to cut rates? Well, you know, mortgage rates mortgage rates have come down quite a bit, along with Treasury yields, along with the entire bond structure. Uh, and, you know, in the last three or four weeks, you've had about a 15% increase uh, in mortgage purchase applications. Uh, the interesting thing is going to be is that if mortgage rates level off or decline a little bit further, but you don't see much in the way of further stimulus and mortgage applications, that would be a strong sign. Uh, that would be another factor contributing to uh, why the Fed should ease. Okay. So we're you not know, there yet. We have to watch over the next three or four weeks. Yep, yep. Now, you've, you've made the comment a couple of times, uh, if, you don't, if you don't raise interest rates, it may be time to start reducing interest rates. Why not just leave them where they're at for a period of time if, if you're a Fed governor? Well, two things. Number one, history, and <laughs> whether history is relevant or not is a whole other question. But history shows that once the Fed stops raising interest rates, the time between the, the, the time span between when they stop raising and when they start cutting is pretty short. Okay. So on the basis of history, that's why you're building the expectation that they're going to ease. Okay. It may be 
that you've got the ultimate soft landing, and therefore they don't have to do anything. But if inflation continues to come down, then in effect that is a form of tightening in that real interest yep. rates will be rising, yep. even if nominal rates are held the same. And so that would be another argument for why they should cut nominal rates. Okay. All right. You know, it, the, the the market is certainly starting to anticipate a rate cut sometime, what, in March of, of 2024? Uh, I, think the, I think the aggressive ones, I think the aggressive ones are looking toward March. Okay. Could come you know, sooner. The, you know, there's a meeting in December, uh, then there's a meeting in the beginning of February, and then there's a meeting in the middle of March. Beginning of February is probably too aggressive, but, you know, by March, you could have enough deterioration uh, that might lead them to want to ease. Personally, I think that's a little too aggressive. Okay. I could see something in the spring, uh, but I think that's the direction in which we're headed. That's that's the kind of perspective that I'm looking for right there. Because, you know, the Fed waited way too long to address inflation. Um, and the the idea that the fed is going to move quickly then to loosen monetary policy is i i think is too hopeful i at some point higher interest rates are going to choke down economic activity it it's probably going to feel like a crash landing rather than a soft landing for the economy before the fed starts to cut rates right well you know that's the, that you could argue the other way they missed it on the upside if they miss it on the downside, they'll really look foolish. Uh, and so that would be an argument for why they might want to be more aggressive sooner. And okay. let's not forget it's an election year. Yeah. You know, I, there'll, there'll be a lot of political pressure uh, placed on the Fed this so, summer if the economy is slipping into a real recession. Okay, so Vince, if you were sitting in a Biden campaign meeting, would you tell him to keep pushing the Bidenomics message? <laughs> spend till the cows come home deficits be damned if i were in the biden camp i would tell them listen the deficit is running out of control we need we need to take prudent steps in order to address it uh but nobody seems inclined to uh care about that of course if i were in the biden camp too i wouldn't have been telling them to just ignore the supreme court and go ahead and uh, eliminate student loans. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> so the GDP, what does this all mean for GDP? Are we going to see growth? Well, I think GDP is going to be pretty flat in the current quarter, uh, okay. something between 0 and 2%. And I would say you're probably looking at the same in the, in the first quarter, uh, but the risks may now be on the downside. Okay. Because I would think that, that part of the reason that we would get an interest rate reduction is if the economy needs some in, some incentive to grow more quickly. And I don't know if we're going to get there in the first quarter. These things tend to happen faster rather than slower. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Vince, it's always an education when we get you on here, my friend. Thank you so much. Okay, Chip, take care. You bet. That is Dr. Vince Malanga, president of LaSalle Economics. So when it comes to the economy, things happen faster than what we might expect them to. So can the Fed adjust to that? Will Congress adjust to that? I don't know. Davis and I will be right back. <coughs> Hello? Man, where are you? I thought you were coming. I can't. I'm in bed with the flu. <laughs> the flu? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Grandma's about to crowd, sir. Man, I'll call you back. Don't get stuck at home with the flu. A flu shot is safe, effective, and you can get it at the same time as your COVID-19 vaccine. A flu shot is the best way to prevent the flu and its potentially serious complications. Don't get flu FOMO. Learn more at GetMyFluShot.org. Brought to you by the AMA, CDC, and the Ad Council. After I got out of the Marine Corps, coming back home, it was just a mental breakdown for me. I was on the verge of giving up. That chapter, that season in my life was over. Now what? Who was I? That's what I kept asking myself. The pressure to have it all together, to heal, to 
quiet down the monsters inside. It was too much. I lost it. I had heard about the Wounded Warrior Project. I had seen the logo and that visual of a warrior carrying another warrior. The programs that the Wounded Warrior Project offers, it's not just the veteran themselves, it's, it's their whole family, it brings it all together. We have scars that we carry, and just because the scars are there doesn't mean that we're any less than what we were. Right now, I, I'm the best version that I ever have been of myself. I can embrace the brokenness. You wouldn't go into battle alone. You don't have to fight this alone. Visit woundedwarriorproject.org slash not alone. There's danger out there. It lurks on highways and quiet neighborhood streets. It's more likely to kill you than a shark and more terrifying than the biggest snake. Distracted driving claims lives every day. Every notification, swipe, social post, video, or selfie while driving risks your life. So while you might think public speaking or the zombie apocalypse is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Steven Eichenberger is an area manager for Dynagrow Seeds. He joins us right now. Steve, tell me, what's got you excited about the next class of corn and soybean seeds coming from Dynagrow Seed? Well, thanks for having me. The first thing that really excites me is the progressive increases in performance year after year. Not only the genetic gain in yield, yield is important, but also the agronomics behind that. So on corn, you know, a lot of things like plant health, emergence through tough conditions and stress tolerance have really improved over the years. On soybeans, disease tolerance like sudden death and white mold continue to get better. So it's not just the yield of the new products, but it's also the agronomics that really drives that yield. Yeah, and that expands that trait platform and everything that you're offering, doesn't it? Yeah, so we have expansive trait platforms within the Dynagrow brand. If you look at corn, we've got Smart Stacks, Smart Stacks Pro, Double Pro, and Conventional. So regardless of what your crop rotation is or what the insect profile you have out there, we got the products that can fit your acres. On soybeans, we support all herbicide platforms. So whether you're on the E3 platform, the Extend Flex platform, or you prefer a conventional platform, we've got the right products to fit your acre. Steve, tell me about the field trials that you've done. Yeah, so we've got field trials across every environment and management type. So they help our salespeople really hone in on what is the best management and placement for each one of our products to ensure we're maximizing yield on your local farms. Yeah, and when you do take a look at some of those field trials, some of them turn into winners, don't they? Yeah, so we are very involved in the National Corn Growers Association Yield Contest. And we've had a lot of winners here over the past couple of years, and we're hoping to have it successful here again this year. Fantastic. Where do we go for more information, Steve? Visit any of our Nutrient Ag Solution retail locations across the Midwest. Fantastic. Dynagrow Seed available through Nutrient Ag Solutions. That is Steven Eichenberger. He is an area manager for Dynagrow Seeds. This is Andrew McCray, host of the American Countryside. I'm also a farmer and rancher from Northwest Missouri, and I hope you'll join me each week for Farming the Countryside as we take a look at the top issues impacting agriculture as told by the people farming and working in our industry. We'll talk about markets and trade, share some of the latest tips and trends from grain and livestock producers, and take a look at trends impacting rural America. Join me for Farming the Countryside on many local radio stations or on your favorite podcast platform, or just go to farmingthecountryside.com. Uh-oh, Brad's buzzed. Oh, yeah? Yeah, he's starting with the woots. <laughs> and now a speech. I just want to say that friendship is about heart. Heart and brain. Who's with me? Good thing is, he knows when he's buzzed. And my brain is saying, when it's time to go home, somebody call me a ride. Love that guy. Me too. Know your buzzed warning signs? Call for a ride when it's time to go home. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Your next piece of equipment is on MachineryPete.com. Search equipment from dealerships across the country to find what you're looking for. Only on MachineryPete.com. Welcome back to AgriTalk, everyone. Glad you've joined us this morning. Your pal Davis Michelson here, along with celebrity broadcast professional Chip Flory. Chip, good morning. (laughs) Okay, good morning. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I got a stat here. Okay. And I'm I'm just going to sort of put it out there because I've heard this argument uh, with the uh, the methane emissions and the cows. Okay. And I just I just want to put some numbers on this. 
for some of those folks who might pursue this argument. According to uh, Statistics Keeper Statista, all right, in 2021, they had the world bovine population Mm -hmm. somewhere around 996 million cows. Okay. 996 million. I've heard people say, when the prairies were carpeted with bison, Mm -hmm. why didn't we have global warming then? Right. If methane is such a problem, why wasn't it a problem then when they were, you know, we weren't around to regulate these bovine, you know? What did they do without us? Mm -hmm. Um, The, let me make sure and cite my source correctly here. I've got the Texas, yes, Texas Park and wildlife puts the uh, American bison population in the year 1500 at an estimated 30 to 60 million bison living in North America. Right. Which is far less than the 996 million cows in the world estimated by Statista. Yeah, Yeah, call it a billion. I mean, there's 400 million in India. There's 300 Mm -hmm. million in Brazil. Okay. I mean, mm-hmm. Brazil and India, when you look at the bovine population, uh, India is far out in front as the largest uh, uh, cattle herd. And, uh, you know, I should say bovine because, you know, they're talking about water buffalo and right. everything. Everything. Yep. Um, so, and then you've got Brazil and a huge cattle population. And there it, it is cattle. Uh, but a huge cattle population in Brazil that that when the the efforts to control emissions from bovine, if you're going to make any real progress on doing so, it's got to start in India and it's got to start in Brazil. That's where it's got to happen. Um, and the, Euro- the European mm-hmm. Union, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S., sure, but, you know, it's like 2% of global greenhouse emissions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Yeah, and I don't know. It, I could see Brazil being a, a willing adapter. They're, you know, yep. they're down, whatever. Sure. Um, India, I think, whether they want to comply or not, I don't think it's a question Right. Uh, you know, and one thing, once you've deified the bovines, you're, you're going to capture the emissions. And I don't know. It just seems weird. They're like so hands off with, with right. cattle. I don't exactly. know. Exactly. That's a tough exactly. one. Exactly. You know, but it's like um, it, it's it's like Dr. Mintlerner said, uh, when you've got the world's biggest distributors of food, mm-hmm. uh, that being the fast food distributors, fast food chains. When you've got them behind the effort to reduce emissions, uh, you you can you can doubt their their motivations. You can doubt the goals and whether or not you're going to get there or not. But I wouldn't doubt their commitment to mm-hmm. having an impact on. Uh, on emissions yes and they're gonna try they're gonna well, try and it's it's good business if you ask me because uh if something doesn't happen we could find ourselves in a situation where we're not even talking about capturing methane emissions we're talking about making hamburger patties from chemicals right because it's cleaner for the environment never mind what right. it does to us exactly don't get me started or growing them in a petri dish in a lab that's right yeah, not interested yeah Aurographic lifting. (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Aurographic lifting. Is that A-U-R-O graphic? No. No? O-R-O graphic. Orographic. Orographic, yes. (laughs) It's just just a flat wind being pushed up because it ran into a mountain. Yeah. And and as it is pushed higher... Mm-hmm. The moisture in the air condenses and falls as precipitation. That would be your upslope snow. I'm going to try and find a 
way to get the word orographic into conversation at some point. <laughs> well, I mean, I I've already have... done it here. I'm going to have to do it at the grocery store or something. <laughs> <laughs> you get over the broccoli and the little sprinklers turn on. Ooh, this could be an orographic flow. <laughs> Yeah. Ooh, no, it's just the sprinklers. No, just the just sprinklers. Just the sprinklers. Just the sprinklers. That's right. Malanga on the economy. Uh, is the yeah. yield curve inverted still at this point? Uh, the short-term and long-term bonds? Oh, boy. No, I don't believe so. Okay. Okay. Well, got to like that. Well, yeah. Yeah. And the the market is reflecting, Um, I think, is reflecting what, what Vince described as the most optimistic outlook, that mm-hmm. by the time we get to February, they're going to be thinking, hey, this is a possibility yep. that we're going to see a rate cut. Okay? He didn't back away from the potential for, what did he say, the more aggressive ones right. will be levering for March. a rate cut perhaps in March 2024. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, when you hear that, the, the market does move. And I'm talking about the treasury markets here. Treasury markets do move well in advance of, uh, you know, anything that the Fed has done, especially this Fed, the Powell Fed. So I don't know if he can get the timing right. I, you know, because the timing was so bad on the inflation. I, I just don't know if he can... If he's going to get the timing right or not. All right. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Come back this afternoon. Conversation with Brian Grady, editor at Pearl Farmer. Looking forward to the conversation with Brian. And tomorrow morning here on AgriTalk, we're going to have a farmer forum. And we will have a conversation about the Ag Economy Barometer with Dr. Jim Mintert from Purdue. The United Soybean Board invested $2 million to help underwrite part of the cost of deepening this lower stretch of the Mississippi River from a minimum of 45 feet of water depth to 50 feet. And soybean farmers recognize that if you can go an additional five feet of water depth, what that means is that you can put more freight, and in our case, soybeans, per vessel from about 2.4 million bushels of soybeans to 2.9 million bushels of soybeans. Infrastructure is one of the major things that we need to be improving. Vital to be able to get our product to market and to make it more appealing to your world market, that product has to be as cheap to ship as possible. Learn more at unitedsoybean.org.